This episode of the Discourse Podcast is brought to you by Goldcast, two technophiles delivering the technology news and commentary that you should care about. We are here with Diliman Abdulkader, who is the director of the Kurdistan Project at the Endowment for Middle East Truth, and he was born in Kirkuk. Thank you for joining the Discourse Podcast, Diliman. Thank you for having me, Jackson. My pleasure. So to start off, President Trump has announced a desire to withdraw from Syria, though he's backtracked that a bit and is willing to let troops stay longer. Uh, What do you uh, make in light of this? What's your reaction? Definitely. um, This was an unfortunate announcement by uh, President Trump. Um, But we have to acknowledge also that um, his announcement was not a policy speech. This is very uh, important, and I think it has a lot to do with um, giving his uh, home base, his voters and supporters, what uh, they've always wanted is to withdraw the tr- withdraw the troops from um, these war-torn areas and focus more on the American for America First policy. Now, if we do withdraw troops from Syria, this would definitely hand a victory over to Russia, Turkey, and Iran. Uh, this is what I call the new axis of evil, because they have worked in partnership to regain territory. And this would also uh, affect the U.S. allies, the Kurds. This is important because the Kurds heavily rely on the United States uh, support. If anything, the United States should not withdraw troops. And we have to also remember that the U.S. only has 2,000 forces on the ground. And these forces are not combat forces. They're more there for training and uh, helping the Kurdish Syrian Democratic Forces um, regain their footprint on the ground and protecting the resources as well east of the Euphrates Valley. If anything, the United States should invest more in Syria, put more troops on the ground, and protect uh, the territories they've already gained uh, in alliance with the Kurdish forces. Mm-hmm. And how do you respond to those who say that um, Iran, you know, hasn't struck the United States? You know, why should we worry about their presence in Syria? Iran's presence in Syria is very dangerous. It's very similar to its presence in um, in Iraq. Now, Iran's ultimate goal is for Assad to stay in power. We can already give a victory to Assad because he's managed to hold on to Damascus and the southern regions um, since 2011 with the help of Russia, of course, and uh, Iran. Because Iran has heavily invested in Syria with uh, with 50 to 100,000 IRGC supported uh, militias, including Hezbollah. And also Afghan refugees that uh, have sought uh, refuge with, uh, within Iran but are forced to wear IRGC military uniforms and fight in Syria. So we cannot allow a um, Hezbollah-like um, institution inside Syria to uh, develop because this also not only threatens the Kurdish allies, it allows Iran to continue to build its uh, land bridge that has successfully done in northern Iraq with the fall of Kirkuk, um, backed by the Hajda Shabi Shia militias in October 16th, uh, where the United States stood by idly uh, backing the central government rather than supporting its Kurdish allies there. 
but this also threatens uh, Israel, Israel's northern border as well. So this is a dangerous. Uh, this is not in the interest, not not in the interest of Israel, uh, the Kurds, the United States, and even Saudi Arabia, which is why the U.S. is uh, the president is attempting to pressure the Saudis to um, invest more in Syria. And do you think we can rely on the Saudis to invest more in Syria, despite their engagement in Yemen? The Saudis are will be willing to, if it means uh, facing uh, weakening Iran's presence in Syria, I think the Saudis will be willing to pay up. Um, this is uh, this is important for Saudi Arabia because uh, Iran is seen as its biggest threat. Iranian expansion is seen as its biggest threat, and a strong Iran um, in Iraq is already dangerous. But even in Syria and in Hezbollah, that's even more dangerous for uh, Saudi Arabia. So I think the president is uh, kind of sort of knowing what it's doing as far as bargaining and uh, trying to come up with a deal where the Gulf states are uh, paying their share. Um, and this also has to do, you know, with the lack of um, their commitment to the refugee crisis, too. I think this was the focus uh, of foreign policy in that region where the Gulf states did not uh, take in refugees as they should have done. Instead, they've the refugees uh, fled north to uh, the Europe. So I think the, uh, the United States can uh, pressure Saudi Arabia to invest more in, uh, in Syria and allow the 2,000 U.S. forces to stay in Syria with uh, Saudi money. So Saudi Arabia would pretty much be the game changer, so to speak, similar to how Trump wants our fellow NATO members to increase their contribution. Definitely, definitely. This is uh, very related to that same uh, same idea that Trump has. Uh, he wants everybody to their own to do their own share. And also, what the United States is doing as far as um, threatening to withdraw, and uh, their their goal has been consistent. The main goal of uh, their uh, their presence in Syria has always been. Um, the defeat of ISIS. This has been very clear. But I think a transition is necessary uh, beyond the defeat of ISIS to uh, not allow ISIS 2.0 to come about and also not to allow these uh, rogue states such as uh, Iran and Turkey and a NATO ally, unfortunately, to uh, gain further ground and uh, defeat uh, U.S. allies, the Kurds. Mm -hmm. And if any... Uh, ISIS 2.0 were to show up in Syria, would it be a group like al-Nusra, which is al-Qaeda in Syria? Definitely. ISIS 2.0, I think, if it were to show up, would be um, would be backed by states rather than their own, uh, their own coming, similar mm -hmm. to ISIS. Um, it would be backed by, uh, similar to like the FSA, the Free Syrian Armies, uh, that was, that's backed by Turkey, which took over Afrin, the northern, the northwest region, on January 20th in a 58-day uh, campaign, uh, air and ground campaign backed by Turkey, um, is similar to ISIS 2.0 because these are jihadist, Islamist, um, Al-Qaeda affili affiliates, designated terrorist organizations, all uh, funded and backed uh, by Turkey to push out uh, indigenous populations uh, in that region. And this is similar to ISIS 2.0. And ISIS is also, it's important to note that 
they are gaining ground uh, as the Kurds were forced to uh, leave certain uh, strategic positions to go uh, and try to help the, their fellow Kurds in Afrin. Mm-hmm. And speaking of ISIS, is it uh, premature to say that they're um, pretty much defeated? ISIS is not defeated, and uh, ISIS is uh, transitioning into uh, Al-Qaeda uh, style, t- uh, style tactics. Um, they may not have uh, territory as they did before. They may not have um, uh, the support as they had before, but they were sure to uh, transition into surprise attacks. There are certain uh, to their ultimate goal is now to uh, basically give a uh, difficult time to uh, the Western allies, which means the Kurds, which means uh, the United States uh, forces, the 2000 forces. So this may be uh, attacks on oil fields that uh, Kurds and its uh, allies control. This may be uh, on civilian lives and hospitals and schools. Uh, and we've seen that in Ephraim. Mm-hmm. And what do you make of the U.S. saying that our goal in Syria is just to defeat ISIS? Is that, are they bluffing or is, are they being serious in that, um, as James Devridis wrote recently in Time magazine, um, while you shouldn't let your enemies know your timetable, it can also, you know, not letting them know the time, you know, not setting a timetable can confuse your allies. Definitely. I think that's a great point. Um, I believe the, the White House did set up a timetable for uh, to stay committed to staying in Syria for about six more months. I think that was just in the recent uh, days. But um, as far as uh, pulling out of Syria, it's really not uh, strategic and it's not wise to pull out of Syria to give uh, ICE, not only ISIS the victory, but again, Iran the victory, because this is ultimately a Iranian-Russian victory if we uh, take out the Assad regime. And should the U.S., take out Assad, or has that ship already think, sailed? Yep, the ship has already sailed, as you said. Um, it's far too late. Um, this was, uh, I would say, this is the fault of the previous administration for not acting as sooner as it should have. Um, you know, we all remember the famous red line, I believe it was in 2013. Yes. Um, so Assad is here to stay. Um, we have to cope with that, and we have to work around that. And it's important that if the Kurds do feel betrayed by the United States, if the United States does ultimately withdraw, that the Kurds have to look uh, towards the Assad regime because, unfortunately, that's the, that will be the legitimate government on the ground. The Kurds can use their, uh, their the territories they have gained as uh, leverage in negotiating with the Assad regime and the uh, Russians. Um, but similar to what happened in Afrin, uh, the Russians basically said, this is what happens when you rely on the United States. Uh, they, they will betray you. But Afrin is a, a little bit such a different situation because it was ultimately the Russians who withdrew their ground troops on the ground and uh, gave the green light for uh, Turkey to come in. Mm-hmm. And uh, recently um, I interviewed Emily Landau, who's a... Um, nuclear arms expert. She's at the Institute for National Security Studies uh, in Israel. And she said that uh, as time goes on, uh, Russia and Iran, though they're allied now, will 
uh, come to butt heads and that their interests will uh, diverge because Russia is interested in um, expanding its influence um, around the world. Definitely. I do agree with that because Russia's uh, goal in uh, Syria is to protect the, uh, the Western Mediterranean. Its uh, basis there is uh, that's what's the most important for Russia. And we also have to acknowledge that Russia's also allies with Israel, too. So they want to keep a balance of power. Um, they don't want to offend or hurt the Israelis and the Israeli concern. They do acknowledge that. And that is uh, in contra- uh, contradicts uh, Iranian goals and Iranian military strategy in Syria, which is basically uh, as if they, they've repeated multiple times to uh, alienate Israel and to ultimately wipe them off the map. So Russia is playing the long-term game. They would like to uh, be there for a very long time and uh, to be friends with everyone uh, while similar, I mean, that's why they're close with Turkey is to create that uh, Turkish uh, NATO rift or Turkish U.S. rift. Uh, Russia is uh, in this for a long period of time. And is there any chance that we see Israel, um, which has um, supported a Kurdish state, uh, arm the Kurds, partner with the Kurds? As far as the Kurds in Syria? Syria, yeah. So I think it's in the interest of uh, the, of Israel to arm the Kurds and back the Kurds, similar to uh, backing the Kurds in Iraqi Kurdistan. Why? Because, as I've uh, said before, that Iran is attempting to uh, gain ground on Israel's northern border through Hezbollah, through the Assad regime, and through creating a permanent bases there inside Syria. So the Kurds can act as a buffer uh, to stopping that. The, now, the ultimate... Uh, solution to stopping the Iranian land bridge and protecting Israel was, I believe, in Kirkuk, um, which uh, was taken over again by the uh, Hajj al-Shabi militia forces uh, on October 16th, because that could have stopped Iran right there at their uh, border and preventing them from uh, creating a land bridge. But now the Kurds, we have to learn from our lesson, uh, the Kurds in Syria can continue to play that uh, land uh, buffer to prevent Iran from threatening Israel. And can we trust all the Kurds? Uh, I think if you don't mind telling our listeners the difference between all the uh, Kurdish groups. Definitely, yeah. So uh, if we focus on Iraqi Kurdistan, which has been the United States' uh, long ally since 1992, actually, since the implementation of the no-fly zone and the creation of the Kurdistan regional government, uh, the two main parties are the Kurdistan regional, the Kurdistan uh, Democratic Party, KDP, uh, run by former President Masoud Barzani, and the Patriotic Union of Kurdistan was uh, created by the late uh, Iraqi President uh, Jalal Talabani, and that's the PUK. Uh, so those, and they uh, have the armed forces called the Peshmerga. Now, the Kurds in Syria are a bit different. Uh, the Peshmerga, there are still factions of KDP, Barzani forces that are in Syria, but the Kurds in Syria are predominantly run by the PYD, and that's, uh, that's, uh, that was created by Saleh Muslim. And the PYD is accused of being affiliated with the PKK, the Kurdistan Workers' Party, which is a designated terrorist organization 
not only by Turkey, but NATO allies, uh, United States as well. So the we can't trust the Kurds in Syria just as much as we can trust the Kurds in Iraq, largely because they have proven to be trustworthy. Um, they've created a pluralistic uh, environment, allowing a space for uh, government, allowing a space for elections to take place, allowing a space for different uh, ethnic and religious minorities to be equally represented, as well as the uh, equal representation of men and women in important political positions. And uh, Brett McKirk, I believe he made a statement at the Institute for Peace just a few days ago, comparing the Kurdish-held territories with that of the rest of the region, saying that the Kurdish-held territories has more of a secular uh, tone to it rather than the opposite, which is the more of an Islamist uh, religious uh, government. Mm -hmm. And my second last question is, um, this May, uh, Kurdish elections will be held. What do you forecast? Definitely. Um, elections are on May 12th. Um, this election will prove that the old guards, the Kurdistan Democratic Party and the uh, Patriotic Union of Kurdistan, these are the um, the traditional uh, political parties that have governed Kurdistan for a long time, for about 27 years now, um, they will most likely lose seats in the parliament, lose votes, um, largely because of, uh, if we look uh, most recently, the referendum, the failed uh, Kurdish referendum, which took place September 25th. People are still not over that, because with that came the loss of the two airports, the airspace, uh, Kirkuk, which uh, provides 70% of the KRG, Kurdistan Regional Government's economy. And also, Kurds are fed up with um, nepotism and corruption and lack of institution building that these parties have uh, not provided for people. Uh, the people have not uh, received their salaries, and they have not been paid at all in some cases. And um, there has been brutal uh, crackdown on protests by certain members of political parties on uh, civilians. So I think the traditional parties will slowly decrease uh, in support and transitioning into the newer, uh, the newer uh, parties that are being created, which is, for, for example, there's one party led by uh, Shaswar Abdelwahid, uh, leader and president of the uh, New Generation Party. So Kurds have never had the opportunity to uh, vote for anything else than the KDP and PUK. And I think this uh, election is very important for the Kurdistan regional uh, government and uh, the re area as well, because Kurds can finally uh, prove to uh, not only the, uh, their own parties, but the international community that they're fed up with uh, corruption and nepotism. And my final question is, here at the National Discourse, we're all about promoting articles from both sides of the political and ideological spectrum to foster mature dialogue nationwide. Um, what is your reaction to the current state of political discourse, especially as it pertains to um, the dialogue over Syria uh, and Kurdistan? Definitely. Um, the dialogue over Syria is that I'm, I'm a bit disappointed because the Syrian civil war has been going on for seven years, going on to eight years. Uh, 
Um, and we haven't come up with a solution. There's been numerous Geneva conferences. Now there's are, there are separate conferences between uh, Russia, Turkey, and Iran. Um, and Turkey just opened up a whole new front uh, of war on Afrin recently. So the dialogue has been to satisfy uh, state actors, but ignore, uh, ignore non-state actors such as the Kurds who have proven to be critical in the reshaping of uh, the future of Syria. So I would like to, a, a more uh, focus on uh, providing our allies and uh, the non-state actors, uh, th those who have uh, fought the Islamic State, the so-called Islamic State, especially liberating Raqqa, to be given a uh, platform to, uh, to be part of the future government of Syria. All right, uh, Dilemin Abdelkader, uh, who's the director of the Kurdistan Project at the Endowment for Middle East Troop. Thank you so much for your time. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Jackson. It was great.